It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. On the show today, we're talking to a couple of people from the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. My first guest, Max Kudra, is the Director of Research and Government Relations for the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. Now, Max has a background in human rights, business development, and finance, and he began his career working for Human Rights Watch in Toronto and New York. He later worked for the finance services industry, performing derivatives administration and valutations analysis in Toronto. There's a couple of big words. We'll have to get the uh, (laughs) description of that later. Max went on to organize microfinance and community savings programs in marginalizing areas of Bogota, Colombia. Now, since 2011, Max has been working for the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business, conducting research on Aboriginal economy. His research has led to reports on Aboriginal entrepreneurs, community-owned corporations, Aboriginal business relationships, as well as conferences and roundtables on these topics across the country. His work has informed the government of Ontario's $25 million Aboriginal Economic Development Fund, the Federal and Provincial Policy corporate strategy and academic research. Max took a year off, no wonder, to (laughs) undertake a master's degree in global development focusing on indigenous business development at Queen's University, and he has since returned to the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business and currently working on developing the business case for local Aboriginal procurement in the mining sector. He is also organizing a series of roundtables and conferences funded by a grant from the Social Science and Humanities Research Council. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the program. That's enough said right there. I think we took <laughs> up the whole show. <laughs> yeah, I think the, that that biography is 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 comprehensive. That you got you covered a lot of the ground with that. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here on the on the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. You know, uh, and thank you for saying that. So listen, uh, that is quite a uh, a bio there with all the work that you have undertaken. And uh, you've come back to the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business um, to work on many of these things. But we're here today to talk, and, and I'd like to explore some of these things, but of <laughs> course we're here to talk about the Business Reconciliation in Canada guidebook mm-hmm. that, that uh, CAP has put out. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to your point, we, 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 do, we do all kinds of research at CCAB, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is focused around understanding what the numbers look like in, in the Indigenous economy. You know, Indigenous people contribute $32 billion, sorry, $31 billion, my mistake, a year to the Canadian uh, GDP, and, and, and they have over 50,000 companies, entrepreneurs, working every day to, 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 uh, um, for, for all Canadians. And uh, these, these aren't things people generally understand or, or, or are aware of. So when we look to put together this, this kind of guidebook to reconciliation, business reconciliation, we wanted to be really focused on how, if you're a company, if you're a big corporation, if you're a small business, and you want to work with Indigenous people, you want to work with Indigenous communities, or you want to work with Indigenous companies, how do you do that? Like, what does that look like? We didn't want to be comprehensive. You know, we didn't want to try to tell. You couldn't be, you can't, you, you can't give every little detail because you don't know what the community wants, what the individuals want. So what we were trying to do was kind of give companies a couple places to start. 
Um, later on, you're going to hear more about CCAB's PAR program when you talk to Luann. Um, and, and that's a really, really meat and potatoes, how you actually do it in the, in the day-to-day, the process of it. And it's an amazing program that that, that is that is really a, a global leader in what it does. What this proj- uh, project w- and guidebook look to do was just give you a first step. Maybe what we really, what we see a lot of, frankly, is is businesses that want to do something but they don't know how to start and that lack of that that not knowing what that first step is is a big hurdle for a lot of people so we wanted to help people get over that hurdle and and just you know some basic stuff you know what is the the highlights of the history just let people know that indigenous people are major contributors to society in a contemporary way as long as well in contemporary as well as historical um let people know some basic uh, protocol stuff. Don't interrupt elders, for example. You know, that's a really good way to show up in a community and, 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 and be shown the door pretty quickly, you know. So letting people know that that's not appropriate is important. Well, you know, it's interesting when you say be shown the door. You, you probably wouldn't be shown the door, but the ears would probably close right there. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you point that out. It's a good one. And, you know, let's just uh, talk a little bit more about, uh, about the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business because mm-hmm. some people are saying this sounds interesting. Uh, what what tell me more about about the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business? What why is this important? Why are they doing it? So so uh, CAB is committed to the full participation of Indigenous peoples in Canada's economy, a national nonpartisan association. It offers knowledge, resources, and programs to both Indigenous and non-Indigenous-owned companies that foster economic opportunities for Indigenous peoples and businesses across Canada. Mm-hmm. And of course, people can find out more by going to your website. Absolutely. And finding out more, and that is at ccab.com. That's it. So CCAB has been around for 35 years. Um, the, the, the idea is that you have, similar to the guidebook, really, the guidebook is, really puts a fine point on it. You have a huge corporate sector in Canada. You have business and they have a responsibility and they have a w- the will to, and the resources to, to have a positive impact in, in, with the Indigenous community, Indigenous people. You have a, a flourishing Indigenous economy that with, with as I say, over 50,000 50, businesses, the major multi-billion dollar contributor to the Canadian economy. How do you bring these two together without necessarily involving the government. We we work with our friends in the government. We focus on some policy change. We do some research and some of them support some of the work. Some of the federal uh, and provincial partners support some of our work. But this isn't a, a, a government discussion. This is a business discussion. This is an indigenous to non-indigenous business discussion. How do you, how do you, create space through we do we do three events a year three major galas a year we have a conference every year we do small events all across the country to try to spread out to as many folks as possible how do we bring together the indigenous and non-indigenous business communities and 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 try to find some common ground and and get some positive work going and and ultimately wouldn't things work better with with less government intervention as well when you're talking about these relationships right absolutely i think everyone in government included feels that that if you can if you can foster the relationship business to business, everybody wins. Um, and and I think you really see that through increased employment levels. You see that through increased income. You see that you you can see that de- demonstrated in the data across the board. Now this relationship that you you talked about, and uh, it's it's important to foster it. I'm wondering how you have seen changes in that relationship mm-hmm. because I'm sure. As we've seen just from some of the news stories, um, you know, I- indigenous people need to be consulted on in many cases, and they need to be at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some cases in the past, that wasn't always the case. There was they weren't at the table; they weren't acknowledged as even being important to to even recognize and just roll over them kind of thing. So, 
have you seen a difference and is there more of a willingness mm -hmm. to to have them at the table i think you absolutely have seen a willingness i think you've absolutely seen a change i want to make a very clear point that that change is not universal right like i am not trying to say that every company in canada has has had a uh, moment of truth here. But what I do think you're starting to see increasingly is more and more companies that have had that aha moment, have had that moment of truth. I think what you're seeing is is really an indigenous renaissance when it comes to business. I think given indigenous people are the fastest growing uh, demographic in the company, country, indigenous people start businesses or entrepreneurs at nine times the average, the rate of av your average Canadian. Um, so say that again, they what? Indigenous people start businesses yes. nine at nine times the rate as the Canadian general population. It doesn't surprise me. Which is an amazing point, sure right? Is, yeah. um, indigenous business owners are twice as likely to export and look to foreign markets, which is a huge um, indicator of success and mm. business diversity. It's very, it's very, it's a very good, good thing to see. It also speaks to something about the mindset of the public, Absolutely, right? absolutely. And, and, a, and a willingness to, to sort of go out and get the opportunity, I think is, is something that's great to see. Um, so I think what you're starting to see is is that the future of Canada's economy is indigenous, mm. and and increasingly so. And what what we're advocating for, largely from from corporations and and the government as well, is an increased. So we we really meat and potatoes. We want to see supply chains change. We want to see supply change <laughs> that increasingly hires directly and uh, sorry purchases directly from indigenous businesses. So there are Canadian companies now, Suncor is a great example, that spends over $700 million a year buying goods and services from Aboriginal firms, Indigenous firms across the country. Um, now you can compare that to the federal government that spends less than 1% a year, which is $100 million or less on Indigenous businesses. So there's, there's this huge opportunity um, to directly impact Aborig Indigenous companies by buying you know, they're, they're businesses. What, what do businesses need to do? They need to sell. They need mm -hmm. to sell um, their widgets. They need to sell their services. They need to do their trucking. You, that is the most useful thing. If you really want to have a business-to-business -business relationship, buy something. Mm. Uh, can we talk a little bit about, and maybe this is off topic a little bit, but, but uh, talking about the relationship and how that relationship rolls out and looking at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And when I say bigger picture now, I, I mean globally. And of course, mm -hmm. we're, we know that that the the climate is a huge issue. Absolutely. Uh, at the community level of, of indigenous communities, everyone is concerned, and everyone. And I'm surprised why indigenous people have not been looked at as the resource for knowing how to uh, live in 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 harmony with the the community with the, the world and Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, it seems that uh, unless you've got uh, a few a few uh, uh, letters behind your name, these people are, are not being looked at. Have you seen a change or companies looking and recognizing that, that these things need to be talked about as well? I think that what you're seeing is, is some really interesting indigenous firms that are, that are addressing some of that need. So I think you're seeing some great indigenous companies in the green energy space. I think in the environmental monitoring space, you're seeing some excellent companies. I think that there is certainly a hurdle where we're without those letters, despite being the, the obvious people to, to be the custodians of the land, not only because of their, their, their proximity and that's where they're living. So if you're going to if you're going to have someone monitor the land, it should be the people living on the land. Right. I mean, that's me makes sense. Um, but but it, it, there's still a hurdle needing some of those um, sort of the letters behind your name. But that absolutely is something we would like to see see changed. And, and we 
certainly want to see more indigenous participation in that part of the economy. So let's come back and talk more about the guidebook. Mm-hmm. It's broken down into two sections. You've got mm-hmm. one for small business and large business. Mm-hmm. So every it, what we really wanted to do, and this is to my point earlier, is that we wanted to take away some of the some of the hurdles to actually engaging with indigenous companies, indigenous people, and communities, and. That looks different if you're a massive multinational and if you're a small mom and pop business. You know, if you're when we launched this report and we're a fairly small organization, there's 20 people, 30, 20 to 30 people, depending on at CCAB. Um, we did the research ourselves, obviously, but then the graphic design was done by the Jensen Group, which is indigenous uh, design firm. The printing was done by Aboriginal Printing, an indigenous printer downtown. We had our copy editing done by an indigenous firm. We had almost every stage of the work was done by indigenous companies. Anytime we had to hire outside of CCAB, and I may be missing some there, in fact, because we work with so many Mm. indigenous vendors now, um, even small companies can find ways to work with indigenous businesses. And the the nice thing, the beautiful thing about the procurement discussion and and just buy something from an indigenous firm is that anyone can do it. The caterer, for example, for the launch, everybody needs catering from time to time. We, we went to Nishdish, and it's it's not incredibly difficult. It's pretty straightforward. You know, you know what your company needs. Find someone who can provide those needs and mm. and 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 make make a little bit of the effort. It's it's not impossible. But again, if you don't have somebody sort of helping helping you through the early stages, we felt that that we were we were leaving a lot of interest on the table. I guess the other thing that's uh, a value, as you mentioned, uh, Indigenous people are the, the largest demographic and growing in Canada, mm-hmm. um, is that uh, hiring Indigenous people in your company because they can provide a lot of valuable information. Now, that doesn't go to say that everyone knows everything. Uh, there is a lot to know, and, and there I th- there may still be that, that common thought that, that everyone all indigenous people are the same. It's the same language, same culture. <laughs> so, and Crazy. that is so far from the truth. And, uh, and you know, uh, I think everyone, um, I don't think anyone wants to speak for another culture or another I- area, but they may have some insight into, um, you know, knowing something about the culture, something about the language, something about, uh, about who to contact. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're valuable to have on board. Absolutely, you know we 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 feel that very strongly. Um, the, I've, I'm, I I should say I'm I'm not indigenous. I'm I'm Jewish actually. So, but it, it and it's been a real. Um, well, I could be argued. Yeah, yeah <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. And it's, it's you know it's been a beautiful experience for me being able to work at CCAB and engage with so many of our, our my indigenous colleagues, my good friends uh, that I'm very very close with. Um, and and I think that it's a it's it's beyond the fact that indigenous people are are bright and hardworking and dedicated and uh, like many of our best employees and, and best team members and, and my most uh, kind of my people I look up to on a personal level are indigenous staff members at CCAB as well as indigenous staff members in other in other companies and I think that it's it's a huge bonus to have as make sure that indigenous people are included in your company and not just at, a, at an introduction level not just as sort of um, at a ground level, I think that it's really important to ensure Indigenous people have opportunities throughout the company, and that goes everywhere from an intern to the C-suite and the board of directors. And I think something CCAB really wants to make sure happen is that there are career planning, there's career planning in place, there's there's opportunities in place for Indigenous people to make sure that, they, that they're that they able to, to climb that ladder and get those opportunities and end up running, you know, in, in leadership roles within major firms. Mm-hmm. And it's always great when we can see that happen. 
so that was the voice of Max Scudra. He is the Director of Research and Government Relations at the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. He's my guest on the show. You're listening to Moment of Truth. And I want to thank Max for actually, you know, he's one of the very few people has, that has ever managed to roll in the name of the show into one of his comments when he said Moment of Truth, which is the name of the program you're listening to here on Element FM. Uh, so back to Max, and, and uh, you know, we were talking about the guide that, uh, that CCAB has brought out, and that was actually launched, I believe, on September 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of things did you see and hear uh, when that was launched? Well, we, we actually got a r- very, very positive response. We were aware that we're, it's, it's a very tricky piece of work because we were trying to Give some, be, give everyone, non-indigenous businesses in particular, a primer of how to start to engage, a sense of the history, but still showing how contemporary and and dynamic indigenous people and culture are. Uh, and so we didn't want to accidentally kind of give short shrift to the important and, and the deep and beautiful history. We didn't want to give short shrift to the to the to some of the darker periods of colonialism in this country. Um, so we had to cover a lot of ground. Um, and and I think we did a good job. And I think that a lot of the comments when we launched where people were really excited to see this work because it, it gave, it really talked about, it talks about indigenous people as, as, as dynamic contributors to the modern economy and gives people a way to engage with indigenous businesses in a, in a, in a, in a, in a useful and clear way. And I think we got a lot of really positive feedback about that. And we were really proud of that. So that's something we're very happy to see. As you look forward, mm-hmm. uh, what would you say are some of the hurdles still facing both indigenous and non-indigenous uh, businesses right. to get together or, or uh, you know, to, to work together, perhaps. Yeah. Well, so I think that there's some technical hurdles around, around um, obviously, the Indian Act and regulatory on, in, in communities. I think that there's some challenges around financing. And I, I think that that stuff is, is they're real challenges, mm-hmm. you know, that we really need to think very seriously about. I think that there's also a sort of, there's not the recognition yet we are tr- we want to see of just how much indigenous businesses contribute to the na- Canadian economy, how sophisticated they are, and how how they could play the role that they could play in the supply chains of, of companies. How 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 much value they can add to to uh, an existing company, and I think that that awareness is something we're trying to shift, and and that partially comes at uh, dispelling stereotypes or myths. But I think that there's an increasing willingness on the part of part of corporate Canada to to recognize that and to and to proactively make those changes. I think supply change these things are they're big ships, these big companies, right. you know, sure. to change them takes real effort and I think you're increasingly seeing people willing to champion that. Now you mentioned a couple of things there. One was finance, the other mm-hmm. was the Indian Act. And of course, uh, I'm I'm wondering how many people non-indigenous people mm-hmm. on the business side of things and otherwise just general population still don't have a sense of the restrictions that indigenous people have coming from a community, a non-reserved community. Mm-hmm. For instance, if I say collateral, I'm sure that <laughs> Absolutely. Rings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many people understand that it's, it's very difficult, and maybe that speaks to why so many more indigenous people are prone to want to start a business because they don't have that collateral. Absolutely. They don't have the opportunities that many non-indigenous people have in terms of getting access to dollars absolutely and and i think especially for community people who have houses in a community that they then can't use the the mortgage on that house or they can't 
They can't put a loan against that house to take some money out to start a business. I think it goes all the way up the chain. When you have a company, it's very difficult to secure additional financing. If your operation, if your company operates on reserve, it's very difficult to secure additional financing because your assets in theory couldn't be seized. So banks are a little more skeptical. Now there's ways around that, but those ways are more complicated. They're not as well walked. So they're not, they're more expensive and they the more time consuming, it's more difficult, and, and it slows down the process, mm-hmm. which, of course, business doesn't like. Business doesn't like, and, and the more expensive, because it's more expensive to borrow that money, it makes the money more expensive, and you're competing against everyone else. Absolutely. As yeah. an indigenous right. entrepreneur, you're competing right. against someone off reserve yeah. who can get money quicker and cheaper. So those are things that we really need to, to be able to talk more about and uh, and find solutions for. And there's some great solutions out there, and there, it's building, but that's something that it's surprising how many people don't know about, mm-hmm. and... Uh, um, the history of how Indigenous people were really cut out of the economy uh, through the Indian Act, and which, which much of that has been sort of repealed now, but still, you know, you know, you cut folks that far out of the economy, and it's it's no wonder it takes a little while for them to come back and re-enter it. But that the story of Indigenous people coming back into the economy and the positive role they're playing today, I think, is is it, it's it's. It's a story we're not telling enough, and I think mm-hmm. it's a story more people should be talking about, frankly. I, I agree. So, so you know, sort of thinking about, you mentioned conferences and things that you're, you know, that, that uh, the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business does, uh, and, and I'm wondering how many stories get told like that at those conferences, you know? Like, when you, when you say that, and I, you know, talk about uh, finance, I, I know of a few stories I've heard when I've been at council meetings mm-hmm. where a business or a person has had to go to council mm-hmm. to say, will you write a letter on my behalf? I mean, there on a very simple level, how many non-Indigenous people would say, I have to go to the municipality, the city council Absolutely. to get a letter to support me, you know? Like, that's time-consuming on its own, but these people, a lot of people don't understand the complexity of this, that they, you know, if if you hear complaints about oh, Indigenous people have a free ride or that you're getting tax-exempt, blah, blah, blah. Uh, excuse me. Opposite. You don't know the whole story. I would say it's the opposite. That While there may be a tax uh, implication, but not if you incorporate on reserve, yeah. and then if you incorporate, which is really what you need to yep. do to grow your business, yep. then then it's a whole new series of hurdles. Yep. I, I And I spend a lot of my time looking into this. I, and, and I have, to, to your point earlier, I have a bit of a business background. I don't think that it makes your life easier at all uh, <laughs> operating in that context. So I think, but to, to your other point, we have a we have a gala coming up in, in at the end of the month, actually, great. in Vancouver, and yes. we're, which we're really excited about. I think it's a great it's a great opportunity to tell those stories, and we use it to tell those stories as a yeah. as a as a vehicle to tell those stories, and mm-hmm. we use it as and it's a great place to hear the stories firsthand from other people. That have overcome those hurdles, that are achieving the kind of success that that I think we all know is possible. So, if anybody's in the Vancouver area, they should come on out to our galakas and and our whole day of events. Yes, absolutely. It's the twenty sixth. We also have a par luncheon, which I'm sure you'll hear about later. Mm-hmm. We we have a uh, tools and financing for Aboriginal business. We have a sort of a, a seminar on that. So we have um, it's a it's a great full day or day maybe even two days of events that are talking about. The, the nuts and bolts of how to do this and with other people who have achieved it and corporate leaders that are interested in seeing this success happen. So uh, so it's going to be a great time in Vancouver. You know, if you want uh, a radio station to cover that event for you, I know a great host that might be willing to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're always looking. We, 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 have a, we have a great marketing team who wants to work with you. So yeah, uh, We don't have the dollars, so it would have to be, you know, <laughs> you have to fly us out there and put us up. And, oh, well. But anyway, I, listen, Max, that, that's great. And, and certainly, um, what is that event called, by the way? 
So that's our CCAB gala, yeah, our yeah. Vancouver gala. Um, yeah. And then there's other events around it. So we have our PAR luncheon, which is mm. going to be an excellent time. We're actually launching a research report there mm. that ties into the finance industry and, and some of these hurdles you've mentioned, as well as going over some of the nuts and bolts of how to do PAR. And we, we try to we try to mix the high-level great stories that, yeah. that not, aren't told enough right. with some really, really solid practical steps on how to get there and then make sure that the people in the room are the people invested in making sure this uh, this kind of vision comes true. Max, anything we haven't touched on that you can think is important to mention before we move on to the second half of our program? I would guess I would just like to say thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and this has been a, a really pleasant uh, and, and fun conversation. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It certainly has been uh, wonderful having you here. It's great, and I look forward to having you back on again to uh, talk more about success stories in the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business and Indigenous Business across the country. Thank you so much. So stay tuned. Don't go away. We will take a break and come right back to talk with Luann Whitecrow. She's the Director of Progressive Aboriginal Relations Program at the CCAB. Stay tuned. So welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. In the second part of our show today, we have Luann Whitecrow. She's the Director of Progressive Aboriginal Relations, or or PAR, program at uh, the CCAB, or Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. And... um, Luann is an Ojibwe from the San, is it San? How do we say that? Ah, uh, Seine River. Seine River and First Nation, and that's in Ontario. Uh, Luann, where is that? It is. Um, it's by Fort Francis, Ontario. It's in the Treaty Three Territory. Okay, so up around Thunder Bay. By Thunder Bay. Gotcha. So uh, Luann actually graduated from the school, Toronto School of Business, with diplomas in microcomputer business applications, network and communications, and office administration. And she has over 10 years of experience working within the Aboriginal community in the greater Toronto area, where she worked at the Aboriginal Business Resource Centre in marketing and promotion for the Toronto Aboriginal Business Association, its annual TABA Awards, and the Small Business Certification Program. She played a key role in providing networking and guided support for Aboriginal artists in multiple disciplines, including music, art, crafts, and other business Ventures, and that's probably because she has a, a, a keen interest in those things. Because she does, I know, play the guitar. I've seen uh, her on Facebook and stuff like that. So <laughs> you can't hide anymore, <laughs> right? You can't hide. So it's a pleasure having her with us, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us today. So, tell us about uh, Par. What, uh, what can you tell us about that? So um, the Progressive Aboriginal Relations Program has been around for about 20 years. Mm. It was introduced early on in 2001 to help organizations um, build out a roadmap in the area of of hiring uh, Indigenous, procuring Indigenous businesses, and then developing uh, an internal operating structure that was going to be supportive in their their intent to uh, end their approach to working with any First Nation, Métis, or Inuit community, um, should they decide. Okay, so as as you mentioned, so progressive, I like the word progressive. It's a great word to use, of course. And what are some of the benefits that, that companies would have? Well, oftentimes, um, so just to set some context right now, what's happening right now um, across Canada is there's uh, TRC calls to action have yes. come out. Um, you're seeing a lot of organizations um, looking uh, for ways to... Um, develop their own mission or vision or reset their thinking and their organizational approach to working with communities. 
Um, oftentimes we've seen in the past there was a, uh, you know, there was the uh, good intent but poor execution in their approach to working with communities. So PAR really, what PAR does is it creates a, a framework and approach to helping these organizations. Oftentimes um, the approach to working with these communities often uh, and turned out or ended up uh, created high opposition, low trust. Mm. So these organizations had the good intent to go in to work with the community, but often poorly executed. PAR helps them reset their thinking in terms of uh, why they want to do it. So it's an intent perspective-based criteria that helps them cultivate their reasons as to why. So when you think about PAR, it's also uh, an industry agnostic, agnostic criteria. So any organization with the intent, whether they're a law firm, a university, a hospital, um, an architect firm, can, can use PAR as a roadmap to help them set their intent and their thinking. Oftentimes when they come into the PAR program, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So they're starting yeah. from scratch and they're like, well, we don't even know why we want to do this. Well, one of the things we often <laughs> encourage and recommend them do is pull a working group together to help them formulate their reasons as to why they want to do this. When you say that, uh, the word that came to mind was when you said some, they don't know why they want to do this. Um, I'm wondering if, if because of heightened awareness about uh, involving Indigenous communities and businesses and, and getting uh, people at the table uh, was is, is part of the reason, you know, because they know they need to do it, uh, but how do they go about doing that, right? Now, the other thing you mentioned is communities. So uh, I, can, we, can we clarify communities? Because I, I get the sense that uh, when we say communities, for me, it's, an, it's a reserve community. But, but I don't necessarily think we're talking about communities. We could be talking about urban areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, in terms of community of interest, they could be any First Nation, Métis, or Inuit community or any Indigenous community within the cities and towns. Mm. As you know, all, a lot of our members come into the, uh, the, the towns and cities, right, to find work, right? They can't find it yeah. at home. Yeah. So they go into the cities and they're looking for work. So, and our populations are increasing in, within the, um, uh, commu- uh, the, the cities and towns across uh, Canada. So we also include that when organizations are building out their intent. Um, nonprofits can do PAR. So organizations that serve the urban Indigenous community within the cities can also be considered a community of interest. So, so if someone is interested in, in you know, becoming a, a progressive Aboriginal uh, partner and getting involved in this is this like a uh, is it like a an educational program that people would sign up for kind of thing so so the par program um is for those organizations with the intent with the intent to impact at the local level yeah. to answer any systemic issue mm. they can go into the community uh to seek their input to fi- identify systemic challenges that could be food water housing education training access to finance, for example, some of the gaps that Max was uh, talking about earlier. Our Power Luncheon is going to focus on a pathway that could create that um, connection and, and fill that gap. So on, on within the financial sector, right, how can they answer the call, TRC calls to action, but how can they create accessibility for those businesses that are experiencing those barriers, right? So Now, you said Power has been around for how long? It's been around for around 20 years. Uh, it was introduced in early 2001. Right. Um, to help organizations um, uh, create a framework within their own particular uh, business as it as it relates to the way they operate, right? So it's an intent, uh, a flexible intent perspective-based criteria. It's not a pass or fail. 
any organization with the intent to impact at the local level can use PARS or Roadmap to help them build out a strategy in a way that works for them, but in a way that's collaborative with the community, with any First Nation, Métis, or Inuit community, or anyone within the city. The thing about PAR as well is that um, oftentimes, uh, as you were talking about earlier, uh, organizations go in there and it was a, it was a certain consultation process or a pathway that they take in in order to get access to explore the territory, you know, and then which resulted in a high opposition with the First Nation community, for example. This particular roadmap for um, in the very early years of a, a company's participation in PAR is a new way of consulting the community to seek their input to identify their challenges before they set targets. Oftentimes what happens is they go in and then they uh, they execute in a, in a, in a disrespectful way, mm. in a way that's not collaborative, and then resulting in opposition with the community, right? So this is a trust-building process. Mm. It is a way to seek your consultation before they set targets or they sign agreements. Uh, you know, as, you're, as you were saying uh, that, I, I was thinking about that, that this is not just a, 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 a program about the things you're speaking about, it's, it is educational because it's inevitable that there are many questions that people have or are not aware of. As you say, mistakes are made. They're not aware about protocols. They're not aware about certain things. And it, it, I, I imagine it adds a, perhaps a little bit of frustration, but it's important that just these things have never been talked about. They haven't been shared. They, they, you know, yeah. and, and so it's important for, for that side of it as much as it may add some time to the process, that it's important for people to know. It would be, I think, just uh, just like going to China or somewhere else to learn about the protocol or to learn about those kind of things when dealing with yep. the indigenous people. So, so one of the things that um, for the committed level process when an organization is just starting out, one of the things that they're required to do is bring in a trainer to train from the executive leadership and the top from the top on down, so that reinforcement comes from their leader. So uh, they're, they're, you know, they're required to set policy, put a, a structure, um, a reinforcement in place, and then train the organization in history, protocol, etiquette, and approach, so that certain cultural awareness trainer or someone from that particular community that they're working with goes into the organization and trains them about that, talks with them, and that training is integrated within that organizational structure for a lifetime. So our TRC calls to action come out, and, he, and they're saying, here's a list of things that organizations, companies, industries, government can do. Here, uh, and the PAR is a roadmap. Um, it, it gives them a roadmap to do it in a way that's sustainable for a lifetime. It's not just a one-project um, scenario. It's for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Integration is required to happen uh, within the organizational structure um, as it relates to if they're coming onto the PAR program. So, um, I'm wondering about... Uh, companies that have have undertaken this and gotten involved and then moved on to another project just like you said you know moving on and then oops now it's another community it's another <laughs> it's another culture it's a new you know indigenous uh, group of people back to the table again I guess right well in the very first three years what they're required to do is build out that internal operating structure mm. what's really important for organizations and oftentimes what they lack is the education training and awareness in their approach to working with those communities right so one of the things they're learning about their organizational behavior as a whole within the organization is to talk with that community first seek their input to assist their planning processes as it relates to hiring find out what their capacity issues are who are the businesses that work in and around those communities those first three years are crucial for any organization to build out that approach first. So they're internalizing and integrating an approach 
and an organizational mindset within that organizational structure before they actually go into communities. So no, no matter what community they go into, they have a process, a respectful approach before they actually go into any community. It really sounds like this uh, can alleviate a lot of headaches for, for people uh, and, and make things so much more uh, amicable in terms of the relationship and rolling that out. Yeah, so that's what PAR is, right? It's a relationship building tool. It's, it's a, a, a trust building process. It's an inclusion engagement and dialogue process. And it's also a shift and a move away from the way we've done uh, impact benefit agreements, right? Oftentimes, organizations go into communities and they sign off on IBAs without actually knowing the impact. So it's really, really important that they build this process out first, seek their consultation to find out what's going on and what that community actually needs. If you talk to them directly, you're going to find out what they need. Then you're going to set realistic targets based on those what that particular community needs. It does take more time, but in the end, you're going to have more successful outcomes, less opposition, higher trust, stronger partnerships. I'm glad you're reiterating a lot of these points because I think they're important for people to hear repeatedly. Absolutely. Because there is a lot of stuff that, that we're, we, we deal with and, and for business just to hear, uh, and, and hopefully that those, those points will sink in over, over repeated use yes. so that they are aware of, of what this is actually going to do for them. Now, it's been around for about 20 years, you said, so what have you seen over that time in terms of, you know, so when PAR started out, um, uh, the criteria was it's changed over time. So mm-hmm. it was developed in 2000, 2001. Probably for the first 11 years or so, it experienced a fluctuation in low to no participation. Mm. So organizations were, were coming on and, and then dropping off, right? right? Um, sure. So it hadn't. Um, in 20, 2016, 2015 and sixteen, we did a redevelopment of the criteria. Right. And we streamlined it. we streamlined it and simplified it. Uh, for both sides of, 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 the, of the partnership, if you will, uh, for, the, for the organization to undertake a realistic look at some of these organizations, you know, how they build out a PAR process within their organization, how do they integrate mm-hmm. a system of tracking within their organizational structure, right? How do they reset their thinking? And some of these organizations are, you know, they range from employee size, you know, eight people to 80,000. Yeah. So that's so integration for a larger organization will take some time. So it's so that's why we 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 try to frame the uh, framework to be realistic mm. and intent based, right? Everyone's going to roll out their processes a little different. There's no right or wrong way to do it. The core requirements are integration of a tracking system and a structure and a reset in their thinking and their approach to working with those communities, regardless of the community that they're working with. They'll seek their input, um, regardless of the community, right? So. And, and it doesn't surprise me to hear when you say it, w- it had to be reworked to some degree, you know, because it's, uh, it, w- it would have been uh, a process, an educational process for both sides. I think there's several, several factors that play part in, in the growth of the PAR program. We went from around 35 companies to 102 companies as of yesterday. Mm. So we're really, really, um, because we've changed the criteria and made it realistic, intent, perspective-based, because it's hard to follow you know, a policy-based or a linear structure of it, right? And communities don't think like that. We really don't. We all have different issues going on in our communities across mm-hmm. Canada. So oftentimes, uh, if a company talks directly with a community to find out what their actual issues are, rather than by region, then you're going to have an issue with um, different things coming up with different communities, yeah. right? Yeah. Water, food, housing, whatever the right. issue. So, right. yeah. And uh, from looking at the brochure you've handed me here uh, about uh, PAR, uh, there's different levels that people can can get involved with, and certainly, as you mentioned, over 100 uh, companies are currently involved with this. 102. 102. Yeah. Congratulations on that. So, what can you tell us about about 
the about getting involved you know with this joining it and and uh, yep so so one of the things so companies are calling us and and i think the reason we have such an increase is the trc calls to action mm. right mm-hmm. so it's on everyone's radar now mm-hmm. right it raised the visibility of the par program prior to that it was very there was low to no visibility we mm-hmm. were a smaller organization there was a smaller group of us advocating and extending our reach to where, where we could so um, part of the TRC calls to action come out, so organizations are looking for ways, but they don't know how to roll it out, and they don't know how to, you know, start. So PAR is a, is a process, really, basically, at a very basic level. It's a process to help them build out that structure, help them um, cultivate their own intent as it relates to the TRC calls to action. Any sector can undertake a PAR process if they're impacting the local level. If the federal government has a federal supply chain right here that has programs that uh, they're funding, that um, you know serve the urban the, all the communities across Canada, they can use PAR as a roadmap as well. So um, if they have their own supply chain doing that, or if it's on the private side. So um, one of the things we are working on as well is working on um, bringing training and awareness to the communities across Canada. You have uh, companies here that are ready to do PAR. They've been trained in it. They're ready to go, but down here, sorry, down here they're. They're having, they're struggling, right? They're like, well, we're not sure of what we need right now. Our CY self self assessment processes aren't in place, so we also need to make sure that they're ready as well. So, now uh, for the um, for the upcoming uh, conference in Vancouver on September twenty sixth, uh, Par mentioned is going to have a luncheon through through that uh, whole day. Oh, what can you tell us about about participants that want to go and want to participate? What will they see? What will they hear? Uh, what will they learn? So the annual Vancouver Par Gala is is a, is an event for um, it's an acknowledgement system that we built into the Par model at itself. Um, there is a verification system built into the model, mm-hmm. where when a company signs on to the Par program and then they start progressing through phase one, two, and three for the committed level, mm-hmm. the verifier checks in with them to ensure that they're on the right track and they built out that system. Um, before they allow them to go into certified. Once they go into the certified level, they're required to undertake uh, an on-site verification. So the verifiers within the verifier program or the verifier um, system, they're the ones who advocate on behalf of the power company via the community stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So the community stakeholders are saying, you know, talking about the good work that the verifier is doing. The verifier makes a recommendation of findings to a group of power jury they, pro- they assign a notification of standing, and we provide the acknowledgement through um, the PAR Gala. So we think we have uh, six organizations coming through the, the PAR program. Yeah, right. um, I have that somewhere here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right? Yep, That's so we have six organizations that have come through under the new criteria. Yeah. Um, we have ADCO Structure and Logistics. We have Civio Canada. We have Sodexo uh, Energy and Resources. IPAC uh, services, uh, Toco Industries, and VIP Powerline. So they've all assessed, uh, were assessed by the verifier and provided a notification standing by the PAR jury. Um, and they'll be receiving their acknowledgement on stage at that time. But the organizations, um, op- they're, they certify in clusters, right? So mm-hmm. all the 2020 that um, are certifying in 2020 are coming in from the 2017 year. So we're expecting quite a bit in 2020. How many people show up to your, to your conferences roughly? Um, well, we always sell out for the Park Gala because the Park Gala is, um, again, it's just a new, what's happening right now is perceptions mm-hmm. are shifting, right? Mm-hmm. First Nation opposition's rising here and they're not necessarily letting it just anyone in. So these organizations are coming through going, okay, we have to partner, we have to re 
calibrate our, our approach. We have to reset our thinking in, in how we work with these communities. And they're, that, this, is, this is what's happening right now. So um, PAR will give them the roadmap to help them reset that approach. That's great. So you are uh, actually listening to the, the voice of Luann Whitecrow. She is the Director of Progressive Aboriginal Relations, or PAR, program at the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. And she was just talking about the upcoming conference they're having in Vancouver on September 26th. Uh, we have been talking with members uh, of uh, the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business today on the show. And it's a it's been around for... 35 years, I believe it is. is I think right? it's um, 19 years. Oh, nine? Yeah. I thought he said 35 years. The PAR oh, program. the PAR program. But, uh, but, but Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business itself, I think, has been around for 35 years. 35 right? years, yeah. yeah. So that's great, and that's wonderful to hear. And uh, when I say that, that speaks to some success in itself. So what I'm wondering about is, is in terms of the PAR program, what are some of the things you're hearing back from the, uh, from the companies that have gone through? and have gotten through certification. What are you hearing from them? Well, I think um, oftentimes what happened is um, uh, Canadians are taught, weren't taught the, the real history of, of, um, of our history, of Canadian history. So they develop an appreciation and an understanding of the partnerships that, that they have built out. Um, they're finding that um, um, by going into working with these communities, they are actually helping shift that perception that um, the indigenous, you know, the indigenous communities across Canada are asserting their their rights, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. um, on the on the private side, uh, we're seeing a lot of more uh, trust being built around the corporate side, right? Less opposition. In some cases, that is still uh, in process. That's why we call it progressive Aboriginal relations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, but it is a work in progress right now, and um, communities or. Um, the directors, when when we train the executive leadership groups, they realize that, uh, you know, that they haven't um, been as cognizant as they could be in their mm. approach to working with those communities, right. and they realize, you know, they don't know what they don't know, right? right. So, um, it really is just helping them reset their thinking and, and you know, working with communities. And I think that is um, has been out of the picture for so long. Mm. We're now being brought back into that equation, as Max was was talking about earlier, and we're being included in those conversations lot more now would i be correct in 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 this that this is not just a program for non-indigenous any organization with the intent um if there's um, a large indigenous organization out there that wants to impact at the local level they can do so as well right so because i would i would guess that there is some education on both sides that, that needs to be done correct yeah prior to 2015 the criteria itself was a, um, a rigid score-based system it was really hard to assess organizations when you're thinking in terms of a pass or fail. Mm. Um, but when you think of it in terms of you, you expand that into the intent to impact at the local level because the variables at the community level in any First Nation, Métis, or Inuit communities, they're high. Different systemic issues, different challenges, different political governing structures, different regulation, mm. all kinds of things are going on at this level here. So um, we had to find a way to make it flexible. Um, and since the increase, since we've relaunched the criteria, we've had an interest from cities. We've trained all the cities across Canada in their approach to working with all the uh, communities that are mm. geographically located around right. their particular sure. town or city. We've trained uh, universities. We've trained a hospital that had the interest, you know, for those systemic issues in the north, high suicide rates, you know what I mean, inaccessibility to certain first response teams, things like that, any systemic issue. So... Mm. 
any organization um, can use PARs or Roadmap to build out a structure for themselves to help them answer those issues on those communities. Now, when you, you say that in terms of some of the, the, the uh, issues uh, such as uh, high suicides and those kind of things, um, do you do you then bring in and search out the experts yourselves to bring in and talk about those things? Is that what you do? Well, what we do is um, our approach right now. It's, it's such a it's such a new approach, yeah. right? So since 2016, the launch of the new criteria. Um, typically, it was just oil and gas and certain mm. sectors that were that could come onto the program to actually you know assess right that yeah. have built up partnerships. But because we've we've expanded the definitions and created a more flexible criteria, this is where hospitals and universities yeah. have also yeah. taken an interest. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a university out in Alberta that has taken an interest in um, in terms of water. Um, we've had um, um, again um, nonprofit, you know, that receives the money to hand down yeah. to funnel right. So mm-hmm. how can they use a par process to redirect that mm-hmm. traffic? So there's just so many ways you can do it. It's just helping the organization cultivate their approach and their pathway. So, uh, Luann, we're, we're getting close to the end of the program. I'm just wondering if there's anything we haven't touched on that you feel is important to mention. Um, we do um, all our training at CCAB for the PAR program is free. So, okay. yeah, it's all free. We don't charge for it. Um, to understand more about the, um, the program itself and what's required and who, who it's for and uh, why it's important to undertake PAR. I think what the gap is that uh, we want to help Canadians in general enter into a reconciliation process, right? Whether it's at the individual or the community or the national level. So how can they do that? So this is a framework of thinking that'll help them hmm. reset that. And you have offices in Toronto and Ottawa, I believe? Uh, we just have the one office. It's um, at the Esplanade. Okay. To Berkeley Street. Okay. Yeah. But uh, our annual Vancouver uh, Park Gala is coming up, where we're going to honor, acknowledge all the park companies. It's where all they, it's where they all gather to um, discuss best practice, to connect, to um, seek mentorship among one another, to find out what works and what doesn't. So that will be happening in, in September 26th. And if uh, people are interested in finding out more, if they can just go to the website. Correct? Yeah, they can go to the website um, www.ccab.com/par. Right, I believe. Um, great. Uh, Luann, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. I really appreciate you, uh, you and Max coming in and, and talking to us about this and the wonderful success that CCAB has had over the years and wish you all the best in the future as well. It's wonderful to see this kind of work being done to, uh, to encourage um, uh, positive stories and, and success for everyone in the country as we move forward. So, Nyao uh, miigwech for coming in today. Oh, thank you, Chimigwech, for having us. That's the voice of Luann Whitecroft. She is the Director of Progressive Aboriginal Relations, or PAR, at the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business.